I want to welcome everyone, and um, I want to cover a well-covered topic, but from a whole new direction. So both in the questions that I'm asking in the beginning are a little cryptic, because I don't want us to get in our comfortable box where we already are, and have us sit in there and say, I'm in here. I want to try and get us wandering maybe into a little bigger box in a new direction without knowing exactly where we're going. So we haven't covered the scripture reading. We'll get there. But I want to get there in a new direction, and I don't want you already ahead of me where you think I'm going because I'm probably not going there. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer. Our Lord and Father, you have given us a great group of ideas about who you are and your Son and your Spirit and how we can respond to that in ten special words. And we have tried in many ways to understand it and apply it, and we want to be able to perhaps see it differently today in the way that you might see it or in a a way that we can understand it a little better. So I ask your gift of your Holy Spirit to help all of us for me to say it well and for people to receive it well, and I hope that we get to know you better, for knowing you is to bring us eternal life. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. So we're going to cover some ideas about a foundation of how happy living can happen, but I think we have, and I say that we in general, have turned it into a, a bunch of obedience do's and don'ts, and have sort of missed the opportunity of understanding how it is something else. And so I want to try and paint the something else and see if you feel comfortable getting there. The good news is I'm not the pastor, so you know it's coming from a regular person who sits on the floor in the back of the church normally, and it's not coming from, you know, a strong direction, but I think this picture will help all of us see God in a, in a new view, perhaps, for some of us. The thing I want to first talk about on our way there is like Gary Wareham and Dave Caruso, the job I did before I retired was helping people, and I was involved in a bunch of different rescues. And so one of the rescues I want to talk about happened early morning when I was really young. This was probably in the late 80s. It was definitely 60 pounds ago. And we were coming maybe four or five in the morning to this house, and the house was on fire, and I pulled the hose to the front door. My captain runs around the house to see what's going on from the outside. And then as we come to the front door, he says to me, I'm going to take the hose. And I got to tell you, folks, as a young firefighter, that's not what you want to hear. Young firefighters love to squirt water, just like young kids love to spray water. And I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think my captain snaked me a little bit. He snaked me. He's supposed to hold a clipboard and boss people, but he's taken my squirt gun. Now, this is sort of the jealousy cops and firemen have. You know, cops get real guns. We only get squirt guns. We're a little upset about that. But on the other hand, Cops got to ride in a car all by themselves. We get to go with our buddies and hang out. We don't have to go to a donut shop to find our friends. So there's a bit of division there. 
But nonetheless, he takes the hose and goes down the hall to the left where this fire is really going hard in the kitchen. The house is full of smoke, and we don't see anybody outside, which is usually not good news at 5 a.m. when you go to a house and nobody's already outside. That makes you a little nervous, my friends. And so I went down the right hall by myself, and it was a row of bedroom doors. And I'm opening bedroom doors, and I'm looking for people, and it's quite smoky on the way, and I don't find anybody, and I don't find anybody. And I get to the last bedroom, and it's not super smoky there. And perhaps one of the things that you don't know is that when you go to sleep, your nose doesn't work. And so a lot of us think, well, if I had a fire, I'd just wake up and get out of my house. But the reality is that when you have a fire in your house and you're asleep, your nose gets shut off, your brain part and your nose isn't working, which is why we tell you to get a smoke detector because it does smell smoke even when you're asleep. And I get there and there's one big guy in bed still asleep. Now I've got all my fire stuff on, I got my mask on, and so I say something like, which is really clear, you're yelling in your mask, but because of the little glass face that you have, it doesn't come out very well. So I'm saying fire department, follow me, but it sounds like, that's typically what happens, and the guy doesn't wake up. And so I kind of get on his bed and I try to shake him, and he doesn't wake up. So I think he's been overcome by the smoke. And that's sort of the second thing that happens in a house fire, is that when the smoke gets too heavy, you fall asleep. And it's pretty peaceful for a lot of people, which is bad news, but they just sleep, and they don't wake up. And I'm worried about that. And he's a pretty big guy, and I'm by myself. Now, there are more fire trucks coming, to be sure, but they're not here yet. And waiting for more help isn't one of my options. So I wrap him up in his own sheet because I think he's too big to carry, and I start dragging him down the hall. So he's riding down the floor of the hall, and I'm pulling on his sheets going backwards while he's riding because I just want to get him out of the house and into fresh air as fast as I can. And about halfway down the hall, he wakes up. He's like the world's soundest sleeper. Now, bear in mind, think about it. If you're this person, you are sleeping nicely, and now you wake up, I don't know, on like a dry water slide going down your hallway with somebody in your house. You don't expect any visitors in the middle of the night, so he comes up fighting. This guy is being robbed or mugged or, you know, who knows, but he's coming up defending himself. And so I'm still motivated to getting him out. I'm still communicating, fire department, your house is on fire, you know, which he isn't really hearing. And so he decides he's going to fight me. And I decide that I'm going to try and keep getting him out of his house while he keeps trying to hit me. Now he's up on his feet now, and all I'm doing is dragging him by his clothes, going backwards out the front door while he's trying to punch me and hit me. And we end up tumbling out into the front yard. Once he gets out into the front yard... He can now see the big picture, which he couldn't see before, and he can see that his house is on fire. Now he realizes he, you know, it's, this, it's a mistake. He made a mistake, but it's a good, real mistake, an honest mistake, not a he-was-naughty mistake. 
but one of those mistakes we make in our lives where we have the wrong information and we do something that we shouldn't do, but all the information that we have, because it's so small and limited, we end up making the wrong choice, my friends. And, and those are sins that happen to us. We have limited information, limited awareness. We make what we think is a good decision turns out to be a sinful one. And God knows that, and he's okay with that. He gets that. That's part of our experience. And I wasn't mad at him getting punched and hit on the way out. You know, I'm just getting him out. That's just my business. Once we fall out on the front lawn, the lights will come on. He won't go back inside. I can follow that line and take that hose away from my captain who snaked me out of the firefighting while this guy watches his house. So that's one kind of rescue, where you don't have the information, but you're fighting against your rescuer, not unlike, you know, Jacob and the ladder fighting on the stairs, right? Not unlike that, where you're fighting for something and you want more. Once you get out, you sort of get what's going on. You say, God, don't, I'm not leaving until you bless me. But that's one kind of rescue that I had. And you have that lots of times. That's just one example. The next rescue we had was in an apartment upstairs. And what happens sometimes in an apartment, when you first go into an apartment, you walk up the stairs, you often end up in the living room kitchen first. And all the bedrooms are in the back. And again, a lot of fires start in the kitchen. And so we had this apartment that was fully on fire, and the way out was blocked by the fire. And it's difficult for firefighters to go up those stairs and attack that fire because they're going to push it into the bedrooms. So you're sort of caught. You want to put water on the fire, but until you know the place is empty, you can kill the people saving them with your water by hot steam. Now, I wasn't on that particular call part of the firefighter crew at the stairs, but they're going up the stairs with their water and hose, waiting to fight the fire until we know the place is empty. The assignment I got was on the backside of the place into the bedrooms, where there's no easy way up, no easy way in. It was only a two-story, but it was a two-story on a hill, so it was really kind of extra high. And I got our longest ladder on the fire truck, which is about 35 feet tall. And I climbed up that ladder, and I went in the bedroom window to rescue the people out. And they definitely want to leave, but they want to go out the front door. But they can't go out the front door because there's fire there. And what they don't want to do is climb down the ladder because they're afraid of heights. And so we sort of have this problem of destruction where... They're being threatened the way they think is safe. And the way they have to go feels very dangerous. It feels very unsafe. And it feels very um, almost worse than the fire. Like, just get the fire out and I'll go the way I usually go. And they don't realize we can't put the fire out until they get out the way they don't want to go. And so they're caught by fear, stuck in their condition, facing death, when they should really be trusting us to take them down the ladder. Now, we eventually get them down the ladder, but they're skittish and nervous. I had to carry one of them down the ladder because they couldn't climb down. But we eventually get them out of the house, 
against their fear so that we can then go fight the fire. And that's another type of rescue that happens a lot. And I would dare say in the Bible and in our own lives, we are often afraid to follow God where he wants us to go because the way we know, the thing that we know is normal isn't as safe as we think it is. And God calls us to a radically different place. In the life of our pastor, the life of, in the Philippines as a young man is the world that he knows. And as he spoke to us in the last few weeks, coming to America, while was a good move, was also a very weird move, a very different move, and what we think of as normal didn't feel normal at all to him and any of the other immigrants that come to America. It feels completely different, dare I say, tilted to what your normal world and life is, how things always happen, the way things always work. That is very odd. And if you travel to a foreign country, even on a trip, you can find that. I went to England, well, I was on my way to Africa to teach, and I stopped in England, and I just had enough foreign culture for me, and I went to McDonald's. This is a place I can get some culture that I know, and I order a breakfast McMuffin egg and cheese. I can get something of America on this weird, and this is England. They're supposed to be like us, but the English they say isn't like any English I've ever heard. And they're normal. They're on the they're on the left side of the road when they drive. I'm getting run over every time I try to cross the street because I'm looking the wrong way. Mom and dad taught me to look the wrong way. And I get this English muffin from them and I bite into my little bit of America. It's got ketchup in it. I know, there's nothing wrong with ketchup, but they don't put ketchup on the normal McDonald's here unless you ask for your egg and cheese. And it like just blew my mind. It was like, that's the last straw, England. I'm on my way to Africa, I'm out of here. You know, it's just different. And I think to a much larger extreme, the pastor and other immigrants, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we think he should accept as the way it is. And it's radically different than the life he had until he came here. The third rescue I want to talk about was a different kind of fire. This one, we went to the house, and the house seemed totally safe. The whole attic was on fire. So from the outside coming in, you knew the entire house was on fire. And we were worried that because of how big the fire was in his attic, that things like his air conditioner were going to fall in and kill people inside. But when we went into the house, I didn't even have to put my air pack on. Inside the house, it was nice. Nothing looked bad in the house. It looked fine. I didn't even have my stuff on. I had it hanging around my neck because it was fine. I walked in. It was a perfectly clear house. I knew above us this fire was going like crazy, and we needed to get the people out. And I went into the house. I did my searches. Other people got to take the hose. I got snaked again. But we went down the hall, and I finally get to the last room on the hall. It always seems to be the last room on the hall. It seems like when you go to an apartment, the sickest people are always upstairs 
All the young, healthy people are on the bottom floor, all the joggers and gym rats. Anybody that can't walk, they get the second floor apartments. I, I, don't, I don't understand how they do this. Seems like going up and down the stairs would help. But I get in there and I get the guy and I can talk to him clearly like I'm saying now. And I'm like, sir, your house is on fire, we need to leave. Oh, sir, fire department, I'm wearing my, you know, $4,000 costume. It's like Halloween every day for a firefighter, you know. And we are trying to get out of the house. Follow me, sir, your attic's on fire, we need to leave. Okay. And he's fine, he understands what's going on. But on the way out of the house, he's got to get things. Uh, just a minute, I've got to go over here. Just a minute, I've got to go. He thinks it's totally safe. I mean, above him, his house is burning down. He's about to get crushed by things in the attic. And <laughs> I need my watch. I need my laptop. I've, I've got to get my briefcase. These are my favorite parachute. You know, we need to go. We need to get out. And he doesn't feel at risk at all. He doesn't feel that he's in any danger at all. And he's meanwhile being distracted when he needs to follow me out. We need to move with some expediency and purpose. And he's just gathering, gathering, gathering. And this happens, friends, when the people tell you there's a forest fire coming, you need to evacuate your neighborhood. And no one has their list ready, so they're dancing through their house, getting all their important stuff. And we had that problem. We had to evacuate twice where we lived before. And my wife, of course, I was at work. Like every other hero, the wife gets all the work, and I'm off playing firefighter. And she's loading a very tiny car and thinking, I could save room for the kids, or I could just put pictures of the kids and get more stuff in the car. It's really, with teenagers... It's kind of a difficult decision. Because once you get the two rabbits and the dog in the car, and you got to leave room for two kids, and you got to drive, pictures of the kids are the kids. It's a, real, it's a real decision. But this getting distracted when you don't know you're in danger and not following the person out that you should, this is another version of getting rescued or not getting rescued that we struggle with. And I want us to think about these three scenarios as we talk about how things happen in our lives and maybe a little bit how things happen in the Bible. So naturally, I want to cover all of the Old Testament in about 45 seconds. But I would say to you that so much of the Old Testament is this idea of, let's start at Moses' time, for example, Yay, we're getting out. Pharaoh's wanting to not let us go. And we get to fight. Our snake's bigger than his snake. And so we get to go. And we get to go worship God in the wilderness. On the way out to worship God in the wilderness, Pharaoh decides he's going to take us. And he chases us up to the river. Now we're scared. Ah! Who's going to save us? How are we going to get out of this? And we get the parting of the Red Sea, and they go across, and they get out. Now we're out across there. Pharaoh's lost. Everything should be good. We got our life straight. We know how to do the right thing. Now we're hungry. God's abandoned us. I can't follow him. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. There's not enough to eat. We struggle with that. 
Then we get a chance to meet God when he gives us the ten words, and his voice sounds like thunder and lightning. Some guys go up and have breakfast with him. The rest of us are afraid and say, you know what? I don't really want to talk to God. You do all the talking and tell me what he says. And we go through this pattern back and forth. And even in this day, there's a lot of people that sit in these, suit, in these seats on a normal day that say, you know what? I don't know how to talk to God every day. I know Mel's going to do it. Mel's going to do it for me. And I don't have to do that. I can do everything else because Mel knows how to talk to God. I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to have Mel talk to God for me. And this problem of not knowing who to follow or being afraid to follow or fighting with the direction we know we should go but because we're confused happens over and over in Scripture here and in our own lives. And we got out of this largely out of the Old Testament to just keep trying. Try, try, try. And I think in a lot of ways trying is helpful if you're doing terrible things and you want to try good things. It's not a bad place to start. But it isn't really the end thing that we are wanting to do. And so we get to the first words that I'm talking about, which are God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now he's saying this to those people that he rescued from being slaves. But he is also saying this to you and me, especially if you haven't been baptized or joined the church yet, or you haven't found a personal relationship with God, he wants to rescue you out of the house of bondage. And sometimes, like in the rescues, you don't know that the house you're in is the house of bondage. You think it's normal. You think your mom and dad being drunk and yelling at you is the way life is. And you're going to grow up and drink and yell at your kids too. That there isn't any other normal than whipping your kids with an extension cord when they're 14. That's just what is normal. And God wants to rescue you out of that and get you into a new family, albeit here at Auburn we're a broken one, but a new family that knows what it is to be out of the house of bondage. We know about that. But that isn't the end of the journey. Like in those rescues, once you know you need to be rescued, you have to keep getting out on the way to safety. And that's a lifetime for us. Right now, a lot of us out of the house of bondage are still struggling with things like COVID-19. These teachers are struggling with doing school when all they want to do is be in the classroom with the kids and talk to them face to face and everybody's Zooming now. I mean, if I'd have said we were going to be Zooming a year ago, we'd all gone, you know what I mean? And now we know we just Zoom. That's what we do. We're Zoomers by the boomers. And it isn't great. I mean, at first, Chase and Cassie thought, we are not going back to school. This is awesome last April. Did you guys feel like that? We ain't going to school. We don't have to get up. Maybe they'll send some papers in. We'll scribble, email them, mail them back. It's going to be awesome. We're basically going to play all day. And then they found Zoom. And now you have to open up one eye, put on a shirt over your pajamas, and pretend you're listening. 
while this side's asleep. This journey out of the house of bondage isn't over. And during this rescue, God is calling us to keep going with him and not go anywhere else. And he's not asking you to try harder. He's asking you to follow. But the question comes to us then, if he rescued us out of the house to bondage, and he is the way out of the burning house, quite frankly, my friends, this planet is already a house burning down. Maybe the big burning hasn't happened, but it is a house burning down. And God wants to help lead you out of this burning house, whether you're trapped and scared to get out, or whether you don't even know that it's burning or not, and it looks clear to you, God wants to help rescue you out of this place. But now, how do we do that? What's the way we go? What or who helps us? After we're out of the house of bondage, who or what gets us to the next place? And so the question is, what do you need to be happy, I suppose? And so in my own life, I have some things when I was little, this thing I wound and listened to over and over and over, and it plays a song. And when I was like three years old, I played this over and over and over and over. This thing's over 50 years old now. And it was everything to me. I mean, I hung on to this thing. I carried it. I pulled some of the stickers off of it. I mean, it was super amazing. And it's still in my house, way up high on a mantle, and I haven't probably played it in 20 years. But it was super precious to me, and now it's dusty and dirty, and I haven't really been taking care of it. Along the way, as a kid, I became an Eagle Scout, and I earned all these merit badges that took up a lot of time on my life. I spent six, seven years doing that. And even now, to this day, being an Eagle Scout has some benefits. You can buy tickets to Disneyland a little cheaper. It's a, you know, and you say you're an Eagle Scout, and things open for you maybe a little wider. You join the military, you go up a rank over everybody else when you leave boot camp because you're an Eagle Scout. Took all of my life, and yet now, nobody at this church has ever heard of me as an Eagle Scout. I'm just the crazy guy that sits on the floor in the back. I joined the fire department. That took a ton of time. The Caruso family knows about that. The Wareham family knows about that. Being in public service takes a lot of time. And while I was on the fire department, we did ski racing against other fire departments. I did tons and tons of training, learning to go down the hill on skis really, really fast, or fast of my version. And I could wear those medals every day. What would that mean, by the way? Go to Starbucks, maybe, and they'd give me a cup of coffee for $6. Super important. We spent all this time training. And now I'm with my family, largely focused on what's going on with my family, for sure. But not just my personal family, but I have a fast-pitch women's softball team, I mean slow-pitch women's softball team that's a family to me, 17 of us together. We have this Auburn Church family, the Pine Hills School family that I get involved in with, Um, you know, my wife and my grandkids and my kids. And they take a lot of time in my life and they are important to me, but now over time they haven't become the most important thing to me. So let's ask about all of you. This is a bit of me. And all of these things that were super important to me now are just collecting dust. 
So obviously they weren't the thing that's going to rescue me and save me and get me out of my time of trouble. Well, let's ask about some of you. Some of you are going to find things like Legos, iPads, doll houses. These are awesome, and I live for that. And a lot of it, you know, get your chores done, do your schoolwork, and then you do this. And so your whole day is kind of wired on to when can I get to the Legos? Maybe that's Kayla and Kaylee's view, right? You got to get through whatever, and then you can get to whatever your favorite game is. Maybe Daniel and Luke looking for time to do those things. Maybe it's different. Some of us might be focused on Minecraft, maybe. I pick on Joshua or maybe Havila or Cassie or Micah, and they're you know, this Minecraft thing just blocks and blocks and they're building and digging and, you know, totally consumed. And none of these things by themselves are really all that bad unless they're ruling your whole life. Maybe we go a little further and we find Xander and Try and Chase and Mason, they're doing this Fortnite thing. They fly around, land on an island and it's sort of play a capture the flag with only one winner kind of thing. But they're involved in that, and their whole life's about get your stuff done so at 4 o'clock we can do this. But none of this stuff's going to last for you. So then we ask, who do you talk or listen to? Maybe that's the secret. Maybe if Minecraft won't save your life or Fortnite, it's who or what you're talking to. And so we get into things that maybe the high schoolers are focused on, Elizabeth and Victoria. And they're on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, and they're communicating. And i got to tell you, there's a lot of people think this is the worst thing in the world. It's just another version of passing notes in class. When I was a kid, you made it, you folded it into a triangle. When the teacher had their back turned, you flipped the triangle over to your neighbor, and then they opened it up inside their book. So it's, not in, it's just efficient and easier to do from a farther distance. My ability to communicate with my friends was limited to the distance of that football travel or the phone cord against the wall. I couldn't get any farther than that. When we were growing up in my house, the phone cord we had for everyone to use was wired in the living room. So if you wanted to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend, you could say anything you want in the living room. That was a bit tough, wasn't it? If you're calling and wanting to call your friends about how you're going to kill your parents in the living room. You know, it's a little more difficult. This just makes it, there's easier ways to hide. But it's just ways of passing notes in class to me. And like Julie talked about last week, you know, someone else is sitting in my seat. Julie talked about that a little bit in last week's talk. And even more so, kids and grown-ups, by the way, are in all of this. And if you want to find people arguing and shouting and attacking each other all the time, just get on Facebook, and everyone's shouting and spending a lot of energy about why people are or aren't involved in whatever. You're an idiot, I'm an idiot, let's all be an idiot too. All of these kind of things. So I'm, you know, I'm not just picking up on the kids, this is on the grown-ups. This is, you know, Reddit's the front page of the internet, and I look at that and I go, I don't even understand why this is the front page of anything. I, I just, I don't understand it. So the question is, what takes up your thoughts and what words do you send? And even now, in our folks, 
the grown-ups now. We left you kids with Minecraft and Fortnite picking on you. Let's pick on the grown-ups. And they're heavily involved in this and all of this team, or they're cranking over on this team and talking about this team, the Democrats and the Republicans. And everybody has opinions and ideas about these things. And they're political parties. And I have to tell you, friends, whether we're talking about games or whatever, Jesus wasn't against going to parties. Jesus wasn't against gathering with friends and having a good time. But no one says Jesus lived to party. And, and that's the difference. It isn't that all of these things we're sharing right now are of themselves bad on their own if they're part of your life, a piece of it. But if they're all of your life and you've defined yourself by these things, then we have a problem. Grown-ups are consumed about where money's going, whether they're gambling it away in the Vegas or whether they're gambling it away in the stock market or my retirement fund's bigger than your retirement fund or I have more dollars than you do. And even when we looked at Gary Wareham's truck, you know, my big truck with all my safety stuff in it, and it wasn't a little tiny Toyota, did it? With a little tiny truck, carry like two people in it. He's a big truck with big tires, goes all over the world. And it isn't the biggest thing in his life, obviously. But for some people it is. Some people the discussion is about, why is my wife buying so many purses and shoes while they lean against their really big truck? Or they're watching their favorite sports thing. They're comatose on the weekend because this team or that team is doing something. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left for like three and a half hours. And this meaning, I got a, I got a buddy over in Forest Hill, he's wearing Green Bay Packer stuff all the time, every day of the year. And that's fine and good, there's again, nothing wrong with these kinds of enjoyments if they're not the thing running your whole life, that you're not built to doing this. Even dare I say this, right, being patriotic cannot be the biggest thing in your life. And America's a great place, except no one else will let us go there now that we're all sick. Used to be the best passport to have, now it's the worst. You can't go anywhere unless it's full of other sick people, then you're okay. But if you want to go to like New Zealand, where my friend Roy is, they ain't letting us in because we're getting more sick than most people for a virus that doesn't exist and is fake. So the question to me, I think, as we narrow this down is, who's at the start of your day? Who's with you moment by moment as you do these other things? And what is important and inspires your efforts? And the question is, friends, if we look at your day and we take a snapshot of your day, what does it look like? Where is the focus as you do these things? And for a lot of us, it looks like this. We're together singly or in groups just staring at a screen. Whether we're hanging together or we're alone, our life is being dictated. I mean, some people, when they get out of bed, I mean, they don't even get out of bed yet. They're in bed, they reach over sideways and take their phone 
and they start their day working their phone and whatever's on their phone, all that, and then they make it from their phone until they can get to the iPad, and then they make it from the iPad to the television, right? I was teasing Cassie yesterday. It's like, are you going to be okay shutting off the iPad and walking? Are you, are you going to die? Are you going to be okay? Because she spends her day yesterday doing everything one-handed or holding the iPad in her chin and doing everything with this iPad in front of her. And I thought maybe it was really essential to her saying something like, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. I thought it might be important, right? Helping keep her alive. But if this is what our lives look like all the time, even as members of this church, are we really focused? Is the main thing in our life really the main thing if our lives look like this? And so if I'm telling you I'm against trying, which I kind of am, then who, what are you following or chasing? And we get to the second of the ten words. You should not make yourself any sort of carved image, any likeness of something that's in the heaven or earth or the water. Don't bow down and serve them. If you're spending all of your life focused on these things that are made here on earth, and the main thing driving your life forward isn't the guy who rescued us out of the land of bondage and out of the house of Egypt, friends. We're going to find ourselves in a very strange place while we're being rescued. We're going to try like the guy getting distracted who doesn't know his house is on fire. Because most people, when they get like cancer or something, really start praying hard because they know they're in trouble. But I don't want us to overlook and miss the people that aren't or don't know that they're in trouble. Because no matter what, I want to repeat, the house is on fire. We are all in trouble. Whether we're in a house that's fine, or we're afraid on a ledge, or we're asleep and fighting, we're all in a house that's on fire. And so if this thing, and the first thing, we aren't supposed to try something, what am I asking you to do? Because I'm telling you, this isn't a list of things you should try. If, you're, if you've got some kind of bad habit and you want to try to do something else, I think that's fine. I think it's fine. It's a good starting step, but it doesn't drive your whole life. Being the person that keeps this list perfectly, you've got the best score of keeping this list. That doesn't actually win. It doesn't actually rescue you. So that's my caution to you. I'm not recommending what a lot of people have recommended in the past, that you learn this list, you write it down, you post it in your house, and you keep the list. And I think it's a great list for good habits. Follow God, don't steal your neighbor's stuff, don't lie to each other. I think it's fine. And it's okay. If you're doing the other thing, it's fine. It's a good thing to do the other thing. But I'm not telling you that that's actually the way to be happy is being the person that keeps the list the best. That in this church, you have the highest commandment-keeping score. You're the winner. We should put up a lit board, and each week we'll all report, oh, look, Daryl's up there. He made it to 90th today. Good move. He was at 110th last week. You know, that isn't what we're really talking about in this list of ideas. And you can read the whole Bible and see people trying to keep the list and failing, or failing to keep the list and taking everybody down with them. The first commandment to me, obviously, as a firefighter says, 
Stay close to who's rescuing you because you're not done being rescued. And don't get distracted and try to find something like the real thing that's rescuing you, but keep your life focused on the thing that saved you out of the house of bondage, but you're still not out of the burning house yet. And I also want to say to people that don't know this, that don't know the truth about how to leave the house of bondage, we've got a lot of people here that would love to study with you and bring you into a place where you don't have to live in the old normal and you can join a new normal. But even after you get there, after the pastor pulls you in and out of the dunking pool, you're still not finished. You're just on the way out of the burning house. You're not out. I mean, you're gonna get out. You got your ticket punched to getting out, but you're in the journey of getting out. And that's the thing we've gotta do now. So what does that look like? And in some ways, and Julie talked about this last week, that we see a God like our Father, and Julie spent a lot of time talking about being part of the 99, and sort of opening us to the idea that each of us aren't the 99, each of us are one of the lost sheep getting rescued in one way or another. It's not that I'm doing so great and you suck, but we all have things that we're struggling with and and you know, really trying hard to figure out. And Jesus was telling us, this is the Father. The Father looks like the person chasing after the lost coins, chasing after the lost sheep. It's the Father waiting for you to return. You don't have to be sorry, you just have to come back. Stop walking away and just walk back this direction. He'll reach out to you and take care of you and be good to you. And Jesus of Nazareth, who did go to a party, but our discussion isn't that he lived for the party, that he hugged people, that he healed people, and then he fed people. Things that the pastor talked about today that we're doing with the ark, that we're doing with the medical thing and the community services, that we are, even as church is closed, and we have a very limited group here, we are not stopping our main mission which is to walk and be like Jesus. And we have tons of people in this church that are meeting on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Friday, moving out Jesus to the community. And we're not making them join or anything. We're just giving them food, fixing broken teeth, mending sore backs, and helping people feel better. Just feel better. We're not taking money. Just come here and we'll take care of you. And the counselor who helps move this through us emotionally and intellectually that helps this message move forward. So how does this happen now? What leads your thoughts and actions? Because I'm telling you, and this place has been a fan of obedience, and I think obedience is fine. Keep obeying, keep obeying, keep obeying. Your dad's sitting right there, I have to say that. But honestly, obedience and list keeping, and it's a good place to start as opposed to getting into trouble, for sure. It doesn't really become the thing that it really should be. And the action, the Ten Commandments, certainly a good list to keep. Let me tell you the secret to the Ten Commandments. And, and I want you on this next slide to just for a moment, I'm going to just shut up and just see what happens to you. Because this next picture is the key to the Ten Words. 
okay? And it isn't trying harder. It isn't memorizing the list. It isn't keeping the list, okay? So wait for a second. Everybody wait. Here's the picture. So the whole solution to the whole Bible, by the way, is this. Does anybody have any trouble knowing what to do with a puppy? Or a kitten? Or a baby deer? No one has to teach you what this is. You just sort of melt. When Grace brought in Luke a while back, no one had to say, okay, Grace is bringing in Luke. He's a baby. Be nice to Luke. Don't torture him. Don't be mean to Luke. He's a baby. We don't, we don't have to do that. We just know. We're just compelled. We just feel. And so, friends, I think what I'm trying to share with you is the list of things that are in the commandments are more about what God is like and have you learn how nice he is, like your friends, so that you are now drawn to that. You just know what to do. And it looks like the list. People that know Jesus in here, you go, well, they don't steal. They don't, you know, be mean. They don't, they don't do those things, but they're not doing it because they're trying to keep the list. They're just moved by love. They're just moved. There's no parent in the world that has a new baby and the nurse and the doctor have to say, well, we have to teach you how to love them. We do have a pamphlet here, How to Love Your Baby. That doesn't happen. The minute you pick up a fresh baby, it's, it's magical. It, it's, it's amazing. I've delivered babies, I'm telling you. It, and let me tell you, I didn't do anything. I say I delivered babies. I caught the baby before it hit the ground. Moms did all the work. I did nothing. I just caught it. The moms, you don't do anything but wait for the moms to do all the work in baby dropping. You just, it's slippery when the baby's born. And the most important thing to do is not drop the baby, and if you do, pick it up. So when I say I delivered babies, I, I'm telling you I just caught it. and tried not to drop it. But no one has to tell you what to do with a small animal or puppy. And I'm telling you, friends, that is how we need to see each other. We need to see each other as puppies. <laughs> we need to just look past what people seem to be. Because by the way, babies suck. They're up all night, they cry, they have to be fed, they don't do any chores, you have to use diapers. They're just take, take, take. And yet, in some ways, they're the easiest thing to do. Even if you've grown big, at some level, your mom or dad still sees you as a small baby. I'm sorry about that, because you're growing up to be a fine young man, faster than blazes. But mom still sees you, and dad, in some ways, as a fine young man and a fine young lady, Havilah, and Chase, and Cassie, and everybody else. But we also... The moms and dads especially see you as this small bundle. 
that we just want to cuddle up and wrap up, even if your legs touch the floor. We want to kind of roll you in. And that's what the Ten Commandments really are. If you know that God's rescuing you out of a building, even if you don't know you're in danger, or you do, and he did get you partway out of the building, but we're not all the way out, he's still trying to get us the rest of the way out. Don't stop and pick up any Minecraft or ski trophies or roller skates. Follow him out. And if he asks you to pick up some people along the way, pick up some people along the way. Maybe he'll say, carry some bread. Carry bread on the way out of the building. Now, I know some of you are going to struggle with this puppy thing because young people can't possibly think that old people are puppies. And some old people are going to say to you, I'm not a puppy. I've been around. You're just this kind of puppy. If you're going to live for eternity with God, for eternity, believe me, folks, Marilyn's almost 86. That's whoop-de-doop in a million years. Whoop-de-doop. Marilyn is just a Sharpe. And honestly, friends, that's how God sees us. When we're making mistakes and we're screwing up and we're not doing the things that we should be doing, God sees diapers, food, sleep, shelter for you. And I have to tell you, I'm one of the older of the church, more like this than the young people. I'm still doing stupid stuff. And God still sees me as a puppy. And so I, I want you to know how God is rescuing you, to see God how he's saving you, and that he sees you as a puppy. Because the things that are inside all of us, to fight, to struggle with following because we don't have enough trust or because we're afraid, these are the things that are burdening all of us being rescued. But if you trust in the person that's leading you, and I'll say that as a firefighter, it's the biggest privilege in the world. When you walk into a place as a firefighter with a firefighter uniform, people hand you their children to save. Wives ask you to save their husbands. Husbands ask you to care for their wives. They instantly trust you. It's an amazing privilege. Amazing. And that is what we need to give to God. Because, friends, all God lives for is to love you and save you, to get you out of the burning house and not get distracted by metals that clang around and make noise. Because 20 years ago, they're silly. I'm telling you, even the young people, 20 years from now, Minecraft is meaningless. I used to play this game called Galaga. I played it a ton. I played it a ton. I was consuming my life for a while. I own a Galaga machine now. So I can play it any time I want. Well, yeah, I've done this. I mean, it was really a big disappointment to me because I thought, I'm going to get some of my youth back. I'm going to go back to playing Galaga. 
I can play Galaga anytime I want without finding a quarter, and I almost never play it, unless I'm playing it with friends and family. Then I do it a little bit with somebody else, but it's not that important. Being a puppy for all of us is what I think is important. Because if you are a puppy and you see other people bite like a puppy, your choices, you'll be drawn. You're not forced. You're not required. You're not obeying. You're drawn. Like people are drawn to babies. You're just drawn. You don't have to have a nice pamphlet to say, be nice to puppies. It's super easy because of how we see them. And what I want to recommend to you is whoever you love like a puppy, turn that love to everything else you see. Because whether you're friends or strangers or enemies, they're all puppies. And that doesn't mean that the ones that bite you shouldn't keep your distance from. Because I am saying that. If they bite, don't pet them. Because there are people in this world that just bite you. And if they're going to bite you, I'm not telling you to get bit. I'm telling you to keep your distance. But I'm also saying that there's still a puppy that someone else can take care of. You don't have to take care of the puppies that bite you. You can stay away from them. I'm okay with that. But the strangers and the people you really don't know, whether they be young or old, they're just all puppies. And that's what the Ten Commandments is trying to tell us. The Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, is trying to show us that God is rescuing us. And if we're drawn by Jesus, who we know, who died to save us, our life will be drawn toward what that list looks like, even as we make mistakes. And again, if you don't know at all what I'm talking about, call us and we'll teach you about Jesus that will turn you into a person who lives the list, not obeying the list. Because at the end of the day, we're all puppies. And if you see each other as puppies, how you treat each other will look like the 10 words. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Lord, Father, I ask you, to help us all see how we are all puppies, a world full of puppies. Dark puppies, light puppies, tall puppies, short puppies, big puppies, little puppies, or cats, or kittens, or baby deer, or baby bears, cuddly little tiny ferrets, whatever people feel, baby birds, we're some version of that in your wonderful creation. And we ask you to help us get that inside and to know you, that you are rescuing us from a house on fire. That when we're in trouble and afraid, you are there to save us. When we are confused and want to fight you, you are there to save us. And when we don't think we need rescuing because everything is fine, we still need to be with you and follow you out so that we may be rescued when you come again, as you will, in Jesus' name, amen.